Well, you can leave your Bibles open there to 1 Corinthians. Though we're going to be hop-skipping around uh, again. We looked at the gospel, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and now we've, we're looking at the Bible. Again, give, giving ourselves grounded, rooted in these, these basics, these fundamentals. And as was prayed, Doug prayed, um, based on our verse in 2 Peter 3.18. Why are we here? Well, we've named ourselves grace, but in the broad sense, it's, it's to help one another grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and to the day of eternity. We're here to know Christ, to grow in his grace, and then to go for his glory. And that going sometimes means we actually geographically might move to another location uh, and live out the gospel. And other times it means we're we living out the gospel in the dynamics of our community, in the dynamics of our neighborhood, the dynamics of our families, right where we live. We are gospel people and we're word-shaped people. Now to oversimplify this, you might think about the grace of Christ as that gospel part of the message. And you might think of the knowledge of Christ as this, the, the Bible part of this series. That's an oversimplification because grace and knowledge, if you, if you do a word search on the phrase together, it'd, it'd be much more than that. It's a vast, rich kind of concept and domain. But this is, this is what we are about. We're a Bible people. We want to know Christ. We want to grow in his grace. And our vision, our vision, and there's been good conversation uh, about vision and mission, who we are as a church. I suppose this, this gets into some of that. But our vision really is simple and yet magnificent. It's Christ. The vision is Christ in all of the splendor of his glory. To, to see Re Revelation 5, 6, 7, Revelation 19. To see the, the multitudes of the nations gathered around the throne of the Lamb. Around the throne of God and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Every knee bowing. Every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the vision. That's where we're going. That's who we are. Until then, we're, our mission or our vocation... I, you know, have to have them all start with the same letter. The, the vision and the vocation is helping one another grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ till we get there. And for some of us, we, we know this. We, we know this vision. We're longing for this beatific vision, as it's called. And others don't know it yet, even among us. Some don't know this story. Oh, maybe they can recite it but it's not theirs in their heart. And certainly in our neighborhoods, there, there are those who don't know the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And our, our vocation is to be a, a kingdom of priests, to, to display and manifest this wonderful news of Christ in his glory. But you take grace and knowledge and all of this vision, how do we, how do we, how do we summarize this uh, into a, a, some kind of virtue like, like who are we? What, what, what are we what do, what's the outcome? What's the metric of all this? And in a word, it's, it's holiness. Holiness. And then unpack that. It's sanctification. Sanctus. To, to become more holy. And what does holiness look like? It looks like Jesus. You see how it, it all comes together. The vision is Jesus. The goal is Jesus. 
to him and from him and for him are all things. We, we, are, to, we are destined. That's the language in Ephesians and in Romans. It is your destiny as a believer, as a child of God, to become more like Jesus in character. Wow. Now the question is, how do we do that? I don't know about you, but I didn't quite measure up this week. But where, where do we go? How do we become more like Jesus? The way He lived, the way He ministered. And again, in a word, the Bible. The Bible. This, this is how we become more like Jesus. Our holiness, our sanctification, our godliness comes by means of the Word. John 17, 17. Jesus, at the, near the end of His first time on earth in ministry, He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. How do we become holy? How do we become more like Jesus? Through the Word. Paul, as he's talking about marriage, he can't help but, again, his vision is always Christ. And even in the, the applications of day-to-day -day life together as husband and wife, he can't help but base this on the realities of Jesus Christ who, who died for his bride, the church. And, and Jesus' ministry is to sanctify her by the washing with the Word. How does the bride become pure and holy? How does she get those raiment white garments through the washing of water with the Word. The Word is the means by which we are shaped and formed. We were created that way, right? God made all of that we see around us out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. He spoke and it was. Except for humanity. He took the dust. Word-shaped. word Formed. Imagine. And then he breathed life into that clump of dirt and became Adam. Adam means red. That was, that was, that was Adam's real name. Red. Hey, big red. Adam, because that's kind of the color of the earth, especially if you go down to Kentucky, Tennessee. Red. He breathed life into the form of the dust and it became a living human. He took from Adam's rib and made the woman from his side to be his complement, his counterpart. And he spoke man into being as his image. Now, that same Spirit and the same Word of God enlivens you spiritually. We, we come into this world now dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we have no life in spirit when we come into this world. We, we're fallen. We're frail. And we fail. But unless the Holy Spirit comes and breathes life into you, you'll remain that way. But the Spirit comes and breathes life into you, and He continues to breathe life into you through the Scriptures 
to shape and form you, to continue to shape and form you, to, to hone you, to sculpt you, the image of his son. The word. So last Lord's Day, we looked at the doctrine of inspiration. God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is that life force. It is that life giving. All scripture, scripture is breathed out by God. And not only, not only is it inspired, it is every word, right? We talked about these fancy terms. Verbal plenary. Verbal words. Plenary. Some of you have gone to seminars and they have a plenary session. It means everybody together. All the words. Look at Proverbs 35. Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. Jesus in his teaching says it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Every iota, every dot is there because God placed it there. But it's organic inspiration. Now I was in a hurry and I didn't clarify what this, this was last time. God is the author. Divine authorship. I have been in classes and in studies where I, you couldn't you couldn't answer a question. You couldn't write a paper. You couldn't bring an interpretation dependent upon the authorship of God. Boy, is that a challenge as a Bible guy. Now there's ways to, ways to do it. And we worked around without denying the divine authorship, but God is the author, and God authored through human writers, retaining their personalities and their styles. You can read Isaiah, and you get a totally different feel of God, the Lord God, than if you read Exodus. Different styles. You read Paul. His personality comes through as rough and brash as it is at times. And, and then there's Hebrews, like smooth and eloquent. Both are hard to understand. But tremendous style. Organic inspiration. But all these come down to a few more attributes. The, the Word of God has the very same character and nature as God. So a couple things like inerrant. The Bible is without error. If God is truth, and this is his word, very breath of God, then the word is truth. It is absent of error and it is truthful. David cries out, Lord, you are God. And all your words are true. True truth. Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of your words is truth. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. Now we're Bible people. We're here on the Lord's Day morning service and we're doing internal evidence. Yeah, internal evidence of what the word of God is. It's also infallible. It's not going to fail. It's reliable. It's not going to mislead you. The Scripture cannot be broken, Jesus says in John chapter 10. Here's the Lord's Word about His Word in Isaiah chapter 55 through the prophet. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. 
It will accomplish that which I propose and will succeed in the thing which I send it. The Word of God always does something. Always. It's doing something now. I'm not. I'm just blabbing. Hopefully not. I'm talking, teaching. But it's the Word of God that is doing the work, shaping, forming, the Spirit of God, applying it to your hearts, and now your response to it. Will you receive it, or will you be hardened to it? You will never leave the presence of God and the presence of His Word the same. You will always be different, always changed, either more tender or hardened. Either more compliant to obey or determined to not. The Word always fulfills its purpose. It is our highest authority. Grace Bible Church. It is our highest authority and rule for life and practice. It is the revelation of God, and so as the revelation of God, it's our highest authority. I am, I've shared with the staff multiple times, I'm overwhelmed with this concept from these verses. Psalm 119, 48. I lift up my hands toward your commandments. Remember, we talked in Psalm 119, all these synonyms for the Word of God. And commandments is one of them. It doesn't mean only the commandment parts. It doesn't mean only the Torah, the law. It's a, it's a synonym for the whole of God's written revelation. I lift my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Like, lift up your... What do you lift your hands to? To volunteer? That's why they're all down. No. We lift our hands to praise. We lift our hands to worship. We lift our hands to pledge allegiance. We raise our hands in worship. Do you worship the Bible? Do you worship the Word of God? You're thinking, Todd, you're a bibliolatrist. Like you created an idol out of the Bible. Well, I know that word is out there, and I know that there are people that do it, but I'll tell you this. The people that commit bibliolatry don't hold the Bible in high enough regard. They're misusing it, misunderstanding it. You can never hold the Word of God too high. You can never esteem it too high in your mind and in your heart. You can worship the Word of God because it is the very breath of God. It is His character. It is His nature. Psalm 132, verse 8 you have exalted above all things your name and your word. One, one way of reading even the Masoretic text, you've exalted above your name your word. Wow! This is God's revelation to us. It's our authority. It is our authority. So we've looked at inspiration. That was recap. I guess we're ready to stop. Illumination. Inspiration is God-breathed. Illumination is spirit-enlightened. This is Trinitarian. The next one is interpretation, Christ-exalting. And this morning we're going to look at this concept of illumination. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths. The natural person, the one who does not have the Spirit, cannot fully understand or accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to Him. He's not able to understand because they are spiritually discerned. But brothers and sisters, you who know the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 16 says, but you have the mind of Christ. 
You belong to Jesus. You've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. You have his mind. And you can grasp and you can comprehend spiritual truth as it's revealed in the scriptures. You can. We're not all at the same place. Some of you are like me. I'm a kindy. I'm in kindergarten all the time. I am a slow reader. I have, I mentioned the ability of memorization, right? There's something mechanical about reading that is really challenging and difficult for me. I have taken reading courses, some required, some desired. Speed reading, whatever, comprehension. And there, they don't work. <laughs> I'm broken. I understand. I am with you. But it is, it is a discipline, and it's like any other kind of exercise. Don't, don't start out trying the marathon. Just walk around the block once. Maybe that wasn't the best analogy. You're thinking the whole Bible is the block. No, just a verse. I'm getting ahead of myself. You can understand because you have the Holy Spirit of God within you to interpret and to teach. Now be patient. The fruit of the Spirit is patience, right? Now, John writes to the church to give them assurance that they belong to Jesus. Uh, John chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, You have been anointed by the Holy One. You all have knowledge. There's, there's talk out there amongst the preacher community and the church community that, that, that you pray that the preacher has the anointing. Well, forget it. We all do. We all already have the anointing. There's not a special anointing, a particular anointing for preaching or teaching. John tells us we all have the anointing to know Christ, to know spiritual truth. And there are prayers for this. Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 18. Here's a prayer. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward all the saints. And so I never stop to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 1, a beautiful prayer to understand God's Word, the spiritual truths and depths that are there. The operations of the Spirit, this work of illumination, begins, begins even in the world. Even before we, we, we become children of God. Jesus taught His disciples, John chapter 16, verse 8, that the, He would send the Holy Spirit, He would send the Comforter, and He would convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit operates through conviction. 
And that conviction is an enlightening. It is itself an illumining to your predicament, to your situation. And it draws you to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. And once you come there, then it's a lifelong, ongoing, progressive growth and reality of becoming more like the one who saved you. And he does this through the Word. We're shaped and formed by the Word of God into the image of His Son. The image of His Son. Did Jesus need illumination? Absolutely. Now, He wrote it. You might suspect He has a bit of an advantage. But in the Incarnation, which we'll cel begin celebrating the Advent in, in just a couple weeks, in the Incarnation, He humbled Himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming human, totally human. And yes, the author of our salvation, and yes, the, the author of Scriptures, the living Word Himself, had to learn, meditate, and memorize the very Scriptures He gave. He too was taught by the Spirit. Uh, here's the prophecies from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 to 6. We... We think of this and we, we probably resonate with a mercy ministry, first of all, his, his miracles and so forth, but catch this. Isaiah 50, verse 4, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens me. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. This is a servant song. We covered these uh, either one or two Christmases ago. A servant song within Isaiah, uh, prophesying, anticipating the coming of Messiah. And here it says that this servant, this Messiah, will be taught the Word of God. Will be given the understanding and interpretation to apply the Word to the weary and the worn. That's, that's us. Again, Isaiah 11, verse 2. A, a classic Advent passage, isn't it? Prophecy of the Son that would come. Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Yeah. The Messiah. The Christ. Jesus. The Son of God made flesh. And fully man. Lived a life of righteousness in the complete control and influence of the Holy Spirit just like you and I can he's given us the same gift of his spirit and the spirit guides us into truth and his word is the truth by which we are shaped and formed 
Jesus was ministered to by the Holy Spirit to comprehend and understand the Word of God. You and I definitely need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to understand and interpret the Word of God. This is the means by which we are changed. Our desires, our thinking to discern is shaped by the Word of God. Romans 12.2 Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind that you might discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You're training to understand God's will. You're training to discern what is good and right and perfect. How? Hebrews. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave elementary doctrine. Powers of discernment constantly trained and regulated. You do this in your own profession. You do this in the mastery of your craft. The same is for the Word of God. Like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk that you would grow up into your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. You belong to the Lord. You want to devour His Word. You want to ingest it. The result of the, of the Spirit working with the Word to illumine and transform our thinking is the development of a, one, one commentator says, a godly instinct. The revelation of Scripture becomes in a well-taught, Spirit-illumined believer so much part of his or her mindset that the will of God frequently seems to become instinctive and immediately clear. And he, he, he makes this illustration and I can only be jealous of the illustration just a bit. Just as whether a piece of music is well or badly played is immediately obvious to a well-disciplined musician. You can tell. It's instinctive. I don't have that instinct. Boy, with the Scriptures, we all can, to some measure and degree. I suppose our music people would say, well, there's things we could learn. I probably could. It is the spiritual discipline of in the Word that brings about this discernment, this godly instinct. He enlightens our minds. Now, what is illumination not? Might need to clarify because there's nasty stuff out there. It is not new or further revelation beyond Scripture. That's not illumination. That's not the doctrine of illumination. That's not how the Bible uses illumination ever. Not some new or further revelation beyond Scripture. It's not prophecy in the sense of foretelling or prediction. Illumination is not some secret insight or secret code or way to unlock the secrets of the Bible. No, 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 none of that. Stay away, run away. No allegorizing. That's a lecture in itself. 
And whatever interpretation comes cannot, must not, will not contradict the whole teaching of the whole Bible. Someone will come to me, one of the elders, and say, well, the Lord's telling me to, to run away from this situation. I guess I could be more specific than that, couldn't I? The Lord is, the Lord, well, no, I'm not going to go there. But if that supposed God telling you something is in direct contradiction with the Spirit-inspired, God-breathed, Spirit-illumined Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bibles, then you are the one in error. It is not the Word of God. That's not illumination. So that's why it's not. Here's a warning. Um, James Montgomery Boyce is, is known to have said that the next battle for the Bible will not be over inerrancy or inspiration, but over its sufficiency. Is the Bible enough for you? This Manifold treasure and revelation God breathed gift to you. Is it enough if you get nothing in your stocking? Nothing under the Christmas tree. But God revealed in His Word. Is that enough of a gift for you? And is it enough for you to guide and order your life? It is the only thing that's worth it. The Scriptures. Yes, indeed. The battle today is over the sufficiency of Scripture. We want more. We want special revelation beyond the Bible. We want special experience beyond the Bible. The Word is enough. It is enough. Here, but there is an experiential side to this. Um, when I was in the interview stages here, some of you remember Glenn Lehman. Glenn was, was asking a particular question about Bible reading and Bible interpretation. And he and I were, were resonating a bit back and forth. And, of course, I'm being interviewed. So I'm on reserve. Like, caution. It's like dating. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> and Reverend Lehman began describing how he gets into the Word. And he has a rocking chair. He had a rocking chair that he would be in. He'd be reading the Word and he'd be rocking further and harder and faster and my wife is smiling because when I'm in small group she says stay away from the rocking chair <laughs> like especially a swivel rocker man I'm all and Glenn Lehman was so into the word he tipped over in the rocking chair he was are you are you excited about the word of God does it move you there is an experiential dynamic and reality to the effects of the word in your life and in your heart here's John Murray like, Mr. 
Mr. Strict Orthodox Theologian. But here's his response in the Word of God experientially in his life. As we are the subjects of his illumination and we respond to it, and as the Holy Spirit is operative in us to doing God's will, we will have feelings, impressions, convictions, urges, inhibitions, impulses, burdens, resolutions. The Word of God produces those things. And illumination and direction by the Spirit through the Word of God will focus themselves in our consciousness in these ways. You will experience these things as you love God in His Word. You will. But don't confuse these with something beyond Scripture. These come from Scripture. This is the the urgings, the convictions, the impulses. All these are that building of a godly instinct that is shaped and formed by the Word of God conformed to the nature of Christ. Lovely, beautiful, treasure. Jerry Packer. So, before the quote, illumination and the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit is, is to bring knowledge and understanding of Christ in His Word. Packer puts it this way, the Spirit's work within us is that which enables us to grasp and to love the revelation that is there before us in the biblical text as heard and read and experienced and explained by teachers and writers. You love it. You grasp it. You, you see one of the greatest encouragements and yet challenges is when people say, I, I could see what you were saying. It encourages to keep going. By inspiration, God has provided the scriptures of truth for us. Now, by illumination, he interprets that scripture to us, truth. Applying God's revealed truth to our hearts that we would grasp as reality, soul reality, for ourselves what the sacred text sets forth. Now how? How do you enjoy the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit? You simply ask. Uh, James chapter 1, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, pray. Uh, Psalm 119 is filled with this request. Lord, Open my eyes. Lord, help me understand. Lord, instruct me. Teach me. You pick any, almost any verse in Psalm 119 and begin that as your Bible reading for the day. Show me, lead me, guide me, teach me, instruct me. Pray. Pray. But of course, you have to be there. You have to be in the green pastures and beside the still waters. You, ha you have to be in the Bible. Dwell in the place where the Spirit enlightens. This is the Word of God, the Scriptures. You need to be in the Word. If you're not in the Word, 
You're, you neglect, you abandon the Spirit's work of illumination. You abandon the possibility of the Spirit's work of enlightenment. And as we started, you, you neglect the very means by which you fulfill your destiny to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be made holy, godly, sanctified. This is the means, the means. And it's sufficient. Don't abandon it. Now, some application for us. The, the Bible has the same nature as God himself. It's true. It's pure. It will not fail. You need to dwell in this word. Live here. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your reading. And, and like, we, like we said, don't start out trying to read all 1,189 chapters in one sitting. Take a verse, a paragraph, a section, a chapter, and just go over it. Like, well, I didn't get that. Go over it again. Meditate on the Word of God. Don't be in such a hurry. Fruit, the best fruit, takes time. It's not, it's not, you know, super hormone miracle grow in some country south of the hemis southern hemisphere and then flown in here and dry ice. How much flavor does that fruit have? It's shiny. It's plump. But no, the, the slower, oh, those apples down there in the orchard off of Walker, out there in Walker, are they, don't, are they not so much better than the ones shipped in in the plastic bags? You want the fruit of the Spirit? You want the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that, that is flavorsome? That, that, that is the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of the Gospel. Take your time. Enjoy bite by bite the Word of God. Now, where do we go? I, there's, there's, I made copies of a couple of reading schedules, 25 each. They're out on the, the info center. They're really tiny print. But it's, they're, they're each a, a year-long regimen. One is... Uh, more general, and the other one is based on Robert Murray McShane's approach to reading the scriptures. You can get those two paradigms as well as several others. I use the ESV. You don't have to. It's the one I'm stuck with. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just can't, I, I shouldn't change all the time, right? Um, go, go to this website and look for resources, reading plans, and there's multiple options. You can download as a PDF, print it out, fold it as a half sheet of paper, 
in your, tuck it in your Bible, check boxes for you that are list-oriented, and you can walk through the Bible in a year's time. There are other plans where you simply go through the New Testament or just the Psalms, but get a plan. As we get more and more techie, and even as we're on the go, the, the apps on your phone or your other devices are really helpful. You can get the ESV app. It's free, and they don't have ads unless you go looking for the ad. You want to add a book to the library, then you're going to get, but no ads. Download the ESV Bible app, and it, and it will, you can read it. You can develop a plan. You can listen to it. You can listen to the scriptures. And, and you can even pick Kristen Getty's voice. <laughs> you got to have that Irish lilt, you know, if that helps you be, feel like you're illuminated. <laughs> She's a good reader. The Literal Word app, the Blue Letter Bible app. These are apps to help you with reading and studying the Bible. There's a lot more. These are relatively user-friendly and avoid cost and avoid ads. If that means nothing to you, then get a paper copy. <laughs> Read the Word. We've got to be people of the book. So, God, um, lead us and guide us into truth. Your Word is truth. Increase our capacities and aspirations for Christ in his word. Your words are wonderful. Your words are true. Your words are pure. We live by your words, whether we realize it or not. And if we're to have the abundant life, we now know that that abundance will only come to the measure, the extent to which we are in the scriptures being shaped and formed by your Spirit. To that end we pray. Amen.